Welcome to the channel of Anna Purdue. Look for the link below the podcast and make sure to upload the podcast so you can multitask while hearing the message. And you can also look for the link and um, once you open it up, you can scroll over and select your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, or Google, and just look for the channel Anna Purdue. A huge shout out to Angela E, Jolie R, Leonard L, Jody F, and Rodney T for your donations to the channel. If you're interested in helping this channel, you can do so by clicking the donation link found on my website at annapurdue.com. Brad Musgrove wrote this on Facebook, and I think most of you are going to agree very much with his message. Let me know your thoughts. His message title, Charting an Exit Strategy, the Mandate Withdrawal Plan. Although this content can't be confirmed beyond the publicly available facts presented, I can only hope that my logic is sound, but this administration has proven repeatedly in the last nine months that logic is irrelevant to their plans. Any decent strategist planning to pursue a given course of action will develop a risk opportunity register and a series of contingency plans based on the most likely outcomes of that chosen pursuit. For example, plans to invade a country by force will have numerous backup and intermediate plans, variations of the primary plan, and a solid withdrawal plan in case things go terribly wrong. For the programmers out there, think of it as an algorithm with multiple conditionals and cases or choices, including robust error handling. Despite the impulse by people to judge the other side as stupid, there are brilliant strategists in all areas of the political spectrum. Rarely does a major political action take place without a well-developed strategic plan. With that in mind, I am certain that the authoritarian power grab set in motion by the executive orders mandating poisonous venom concoctions for all federal employees and most federal contractors have a developed strategy and series of plans associated with it. The strategists likely ask themselves a lot of questions about the outcomes like... How many corporations will refuse to comply and risk losing billions in federal contracts? How many people will refuse to comply? What types of people in what kind of roles will refuse to comply? Can those people afford to lose their jobs? Can we afford to lose all of those people from the federal workforce and contractor workforce? What level of compliance do we need in order to succeed? What if we're wrong about any of the above estimates? You'd be safe to bet a paycheck, if you still have one, that the list was far more extensive than this one I just recited. Those are, are the questions that I mentioned are very high-level questions that will lead to more detailed analysis and questions. So, where are we at this stage? It appears that the federal contractors are playing ball. That's no surprise. When up to 100% of your revenue is derived from federal contracts, you don't throw it away. You might find ways to remove employee exposure to the threat, 
You might find ways to retain those employees in ways that comply with the executive orders. You might find ways to lessen the burden on those employees if you end up needing to remove them from your workforce. You may try to wait the government out in anticipation of a legal battle. What about the federal employees? Federal employees are in a real bind. Most of them have planned their retirement around an expectation of federal pensions. Those pensions require reaching a service threshold that varies depending on your service, but is usually a set number of years of federal employment. Miss the threshold and you can kiss your retirement goodbye. Very few established federal employees will likely be willing to walk away from their immediate paycheck and their retirement plan. Contractor employees? Well, these folks have better leverage. Their employers have been put in a bind by the administration. If they don't comply, they lose their contracts. If they do comply, they may very well lose up to 25% of the very workforce that is executing those contracts. Contractor employees are beginning to band together to show their employers and the federal government that they have no intention of complying. Among these workers, you will find a very large percentage of people in professional roles and skilled trade roles. These people tend to have above-average incomes, which statistically means that they are likely to have a solid financial structure, including emergency funds to ride out a period of unemployment. Additionally, their skills are in short supply throughout the country. In short, they have options. What has happened lately? For starters, corporations that have no immediate requirement to comply with the mandate have been trying their own independent employee mandates. In some cases, this has gone well. In other, more notable cases, it has been a disaster. Look no further than Southwest Airlines. Air crews, people who clearly have above-average income with hard-to-replace skills and a solid financial foundation, shut the company down for days as a show of unity and impact. Don't believe the weather stories, folks. That was just a cover. This was a labor action. Of all the faults of unions and their leadership, this is what unions are good for. Southwest shutdown, GE walkouts, healthcare walkouts, and resignations during a pandemic. These are but the tip of the iceberg. You cannot maintain an economy and keep a bloated federal government functioning without key workers. And indications are that the unclean, non-compliant masses are not willing to budge enough to support the success of this mandate. Some would claim that this is the exact intended impact as an authoritarian socialist regime attempts to destroy an economy in an order to build more government dependency. I can only hope those people are wrong. Others, myself included, would say that we're reaching a major decision point in the strategic plan. Remember, the people pushing this plan are authoritarians. 
they cannot remain in authority if they are removed from public power. They must survive long enough politically to see their power reach a nearly insurmountable imbalance. They're not there yet. If the current administration had exhibited any level of public success, their party might survive the political onslaught that appears to be coming from the fallout of the mandate, but they haven't. Approval ratings are plummeting at a record pace. They have ignored every major issue facing this country and exacerbated international crises. This is not an administration or a party that can survive the impact of a failed mandate, and indications are that it will fail. They're not ready to give up yet. There are still six weeks until the contractor mandate kicks in, and six weeks is a political eternity in the modern information age. They are, however, putting pieces of the exit strategy into place, and some new pieces are falling into their laps. Without knowing their actual plan, here are some obvious pieces. 1. The infection and death rates are falling rapidly, despite only a minimal increase in venom recipient rates since the outbreak of the second variant. This allows for a... The emergency has passed for now, message, as part of the withdrawal. The decline in infections has very little to do with any government action or mandate, and it's nature just doing its thing. Second, the second one. NIH announced that it did, in fact, fun gain-of-function research at the Capital W Lab. This is not a coincidence. The timing of this revelation was planned. They need someone to toss under the bus, and this announcement was them chartering a Greyhound bus for Dr. Foe. This little Foe guy has repeatedly denied this relationship with the big W Lab while testifying before Congress. The people who refuse to be coerced into receiving the venom also tend to despise this little faux guy with his numerous documented lies and flip-flops. He's the perfect sacrificial lamb for the party. The third one is the new treatment options are potentially coming to market soon. Let's not get hung up on that right now on the exiting options that have been ignored or denied. The talking point is that newer, better medicines will make it easier to treat lab-created sickness. And the fourth option. The people have spoken. Wait, sorry. That's not really on the list of things they care about. With only those three items, you can build a near-perfect narrative to support rescinding your own mandate. At a future press conference with Jen Pazaki, I can just hear her saying this. I will not be taking any questions regarding the forced resignation of the little faux guy. We covered that extensively last week, and we're confident that his removal from the NIH and replacement with the little faux guy will result in a more focused and consistent strategy to combat this lab-created sickness. 
we uh, 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 we, 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 we implemented the executive order in September to ensure that federal employees and contractors were minimally impacted by illness related to the lab-created sickness in order to ensure the ongoing operation of our government without the financial impacts that occur when contractor costs are driven up due to illness and hospitalization. Since issuing that order, the additional concoctions seen in recent weeks have helped us reach herd immunity as evidenced by the falling infection and hospitalization rates. In addition to to that decline in the lab-created sickness cases, we have supported the development and authorization of new medicines coming to market that will make treating these illnesses more effective and less costly. With all these factors in mind, we are pleased to announce that the initial impacts of the mandate, coupled with a push for better treatment options, has resulted in a marked decline in infections and deaths. With the goal of the executive order met, the president will be signing an order rescinding these earlier executive orders. Please join me in the green screen Oval Office for the signing ceremony and a few words from the president. Meanwhile, we'll circle back. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a day for celebration? Can you imagine to hear the press secretary utter those words? I may not have all the details right, and I may be completely wrong, but I doubt it. If people stand up and refuse, Refuse to be threatened with their livelihoods by a senile man and the tyrants controlling him, those tyrants will be forced to decide to abort or double down. Doubling down would require destroying the economy at the beginning of a midterm election season. My money is on them reaching for an option that they're familiar with. Aborting. It will take all of us to rise up and refuse to succumb to the tyranny. Stand up for what you believe is right. Help your fellow neighbor who is faced with decisions to keep their job or give in and walk away or walk away and risk losing their hard-earned retirement income. Let's support each other. Let's support our local farmers and agree to hire those who've made that tough decision to stand for what is right. We can do this, and we must do this if our nation is going to survive. If we don't support those standing for what is right, we will all fail, and we'll have a bleak future at best. It's time, America. Rise up. Lend a hand to your neighbor. These are the defining moments for the future of the U.S. of A. Mm-hmm.